Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, hustlers. We know that this 2024, the entrepreneurial journey is filled with challenges. An often overlooked aspect is the time-consuming task of processing payroll and managing government requirements. And did you know that the average admin spends a whopping 50 hours per month dealing with just government compliance? That's time you could be spending on growing your business, or let's be honest, taking a well-deserved break. But fear not, we got a game changer for you, introducing Sprout Solutions and their tailored solutions for MSMEs called the Payroll Starter. With Sprout Solutions Payroll Starter, you can finally reclaim your time and get your life back on track. Say goodbye to the stress of remembering tax dates or worrying about missed payroll runs. This bundle is designed to make your life easier and your business more efficient. And here's the best part. The cost starts just at 5,000 pesos per month for businesses with up to 10 employees. Yep, you heard that right. That's just 5,000 pesos per month. So why spend another minute routing in payroll paperwork when Sprout can revolutionize the way you manage your payroll and government requirements? Take the first step towards a more efficient business today. Visit sprout.ph slash payroll starter monthly 5k. If you missed that, don't worry. We have it in the description box of this episode. So click that too. And again, big shout out to Sprout Solutions because your time is too valuable to be spent on paperwork. Reclaim it with their payroll starter. Now let's begin this episode. The Hustle Share Podcast is brought to you by Capita. Capita's software solution seeks to automate the equity management process for startups, including workflows around cap tables, ESOPs, due diligence, and transactions. Sign up at Capita.com to get started with your digital cap table, ESOP, award granting, and all things equity. Free for companies with under 25 stakeholders. Also powered by Limitless Connect. Limitless Connect can provide digital CX solutions. The teams of Limitless Connect have years of CX experience, which equipped them as the driving contact centers in the future. Sign up for a free consultation with Limitless Connect at www.limitlesscx.com. With Limitless Connect by your side, anything is possible. And brought to you by GoTime Bank. GoTime Bank is owned by Gokongwei Group and Ayala Corporation, the companies that brought you brands you love like Cebu Pacific, Robinsons, Ayala Malls, and many more. GoTime Bank makes next-level banking a breeze with its convenient account opening process. It takes less than five minutes to get started via the free app. Plus, get your GoTime Bank Visa card at one of their kiosks for free. Download the GoTime Bank app today and experience the next level of banking. You may visit www.gotime.com.ph for more details. And so when I talked to more people in the community, a common problem I found was that they didn't know the other faces out there. They didn't know that there's a Lorenzo. They didn't know that there's these other founders that are doing outstanding things. And so the original thinking behind Filipino Angels really was, let's put these faces out there and let people connect and honestly just make it easy Welcome to Hustle Share. 
the podcast that features the daily grinds of unique hustlers around the world to show not our differences, but that our hustles are very much alike. Now here's your host, Ronster Beitiong. Welcome to the latest episode of the Share Podcast. We finally got the guys. They've been running around town for, for, for this whole week. So as we're recording this episode, this is literally the Filipino Angel Week. And again, if you haven't met him, why were why didn't you? Okay, but again, before <laughs> I get carried away, let's welcome to the show Mr. Ian Logan and Lorenzo Santos of Filipino Angels. Whoop, whoop. Welcome to the show. And again, a nice location here where you guys are staying in Gramercy. And again, thank you so much for having your time. Guys, welcome to the show. Thank Thanks. you for having us. What that a warm welcome. I feel like I'm walking into like a boxing ring. It is, it is. <laughs> that was that's a great my, that was a great intro. That's my Bruce Buffer in, <laughs> intro type of shit. But again, very, very thankful of you guys being here and thanks for literally going the rounds because we've been talking to each other for I don't know a couple months now uh, I, a couple weeks ago before we recorded this I was with Lorenzo in LA and all we kept talking about was startups in the Philippines mm. but now we're here and I want to understand your point of view and what's upcoming in, in what the Filipino angels or Filipino American angels are coming through but before I get carried away I need to ask you the million dollar question Guys, what's your hustle? What is our well hustle specifically for what we're doing right now, or yep. hustle specifically like both? Filipino let's, angels. Yep. Where do you want to go from so there? So let's just do. What are you guys doing personally, and what's the Filipino angels movement? Is uh, all basically, about? right now, do you want me to do my life story, or we're going to do that later? No, we'll do it later. Okay, we will cool, write cool, cool. something. Perfect. Great. Mm-hmm. So right now, I am currently a partner at a growth consulting firm called Tap Group. We help early stage startups, mm-hmm. build scale grow, mm-hmm. uh, primarily focus on, you know, building sales teams, nice. XYZ. So that that's pretty much what we're doing. Uh, in terms of Philippine Angels, we'll definitely get to that. And mm-hmm. uh, yeah, Ian. Yeah, I'm currently the VP Engineering at a logistics and um, supply chain startup called Rose Rocket. Nice. We build trucking management software for Ooh. trucking carriers and brokers across the US and Canada. That is amazing. All right. Well, you guys were telling me that you wanted to tell your life story, but we will do that in a bit because I need you guys to real sit back and relax real quick because we're going to have to ride the Hustle Share Time Machine. All right. Because every hustler that we've had here was not born, but made. And then again, uh, as Filipino Americans, uh, I want to understand your origin story. I've had a lot of philams here. And you guys have always amazed me at how you were able to persist despite the odds that were given against you. But I want to understand from your unique perspectives first. What was it like growing up in a Filipino family and where did you grow up? How was that community like? Let's start with you, Ian. Since you're the kuya. Okay, okay. Kuya Ian, kuya Ian. (laughs) Yeah, okay. So um, for some background, both of my parents are Filipino. They were both Mm -hmm. born and raised um, in Rizal. Both of them mm. grew up in the same area because... That's where Jet is from. Shout out, by the way. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, so my parents grew up there. They were high school sweethearts. Um, it was really in their 20s that they got married and made the decision to move out to mm. Canada. My mom's a nurse, okay. so that's what brought her there. My dad's in banking. And 
So for me growing up in Canada, so I was born and raised in Toronto. Mm. Um, or tor Toronto, the six, yeah, is, is what locals call it. Mm -hmm. um, and I grew up in a neighborhood, I would say, mostly, honestly, with like Italians and mm. Jewish people. Like that was the wow. community that I was raised, but also I had a large family around me. So yeah. my Filipino family, my cousins, Growing up in elementary school, there were some Filipinos, but to really be honest with you, growing up, uh, I, I usually was like one of few Filipinos, mm. whether it was in class or, um, you know, in, in the job that I was at. So mm. I think for my upbringing, mm. uh, it really was a Canadian experience. Hey. Um, my parents, uh, I, I would say they grew they they grew me up Filipino in the sense that they would talk to me in Tagalog, mm -hmm. so I can understand. But growing up, they never made me speak back in Tagalog. So <laughs> I that, did you say aray or ouch? Mostly ouch, to oh. be honest with you. <laughs> my mom would say aray, and I would say oh, like. ouch. <laughs> but yeah, so that was experience. I do remember my parents bringing me through. Uh, mm. uh, Tagalog school. Okay. I went through that, but you know, it never clicked for me because being Canadian, what we learn is obviously English, yep. but we also learn French, French yep. as a secondary language. So at least for me, I wasn't the type to be able to handle many languages. So I remember mm. going through Tagalog school and never really getting it. And I yeah. think my parents got a little frustrated and pulled me out because they're like, okay, that's not for him. So, okay. so anyways, you know, TLDR, like fast forward today, I mostly only understand, actually not even fully, mm. cannot speak. Outside of that, growing up, like, you know, Filipino values wise, we always had so much family around. Yeah. That was a huge part of it. Mm. I think the, the thing that I take most from my childhood upbringing mm. was just the work ethic. Yes. You know, and for example, both my parents are role models for me. Um, as an example, my mom, I have memories of her having like many times two jobs. Oh, man. Going hard to work with her trabajo, morning, night. These, these are memories that I have. Mm -hmm. As much as it took away from more of her and I's time together, it really gave me sort of a sense of inspiration mm -hmm. for how much, you know, how hard I can work or what's possible. Yep. So I think both the family values and um, hard work ethic mm -hmm. were a big part of my upbringing as a Filipino. Mm -hmm. Those are things that I take with me. But like, as I mentioned, as much as I was raised Filipino, I really... It really was a majority Canadian experience. The Maple Leaf is right in the center of your heart right there. Yes. Okay, now let's go to Lorenzo again. I've had a chance to know you very deeply. Mm. Uh, shout mm. out to the Filipino Centurions who hooked us up. We have a commonality in terms of how we were raised. We were both Lola's boys right there. But yeah, I want to understand. We both have tattoos yep. for Lola's as well. Yep, right there. And I, I want to understand now for, from your point of perspective, what was it like growing up? And just like Ian, what was the role model of hustling that you grew up with? Yeah, great, great question. I, I think really it obviously starts with my parents. So funny enough, I was born in Mandaluyong. Mm -hmm. I went to Montessori in Antipola. Mm -hmm. and, See, uh, East Side Boys, that's what we call you guys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, mm -hmm. But re really, it all really started with my parents, right? So, mm -hmm. you know, a lot of this I do have to attribute to both my mom and my dad. Mm. If we talk about my dad specifically, he was he was born. I mean, you know, he's really raised in uh, Novaliches back in like the 60s, early 70s. Extreme poverty. Yep. Um, and you know, lots of sabong in the family, lots of gambling, and really, he just decided, I don't want to live like this. Mm. And you know, at 16, 
he begged his way to a job at McDonald's. Uh, lucky enough, it was at Green Hills. So, you know, it was oh, popping back then. Yeah. That's still up, by the way. Yeah, I, I know. Yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. Whenever we come back, we, we visit it sometimes. Uh, yeah. But basically from there, man, his, his story is ex- extremely, extremely inspiring to me and always mm-hmm. is because, you know, um, he would, he essentially became the breadwinner of his family at 16. Wow. He would go to work and whenever he would go to school for college, uh, he would literally sleep in the like the playpen sometimes because oh he didn't have time God. to go back home. So he would uh, really just. Uh, yeah. That's a far travel that. from Nova to Green Hills. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so when, you know, and I think really the whole chance part and the whole luck part that came was when my dad was in line to go to college or, or basically register for college, there was mm. like two different majors, right? So uh, the major that he really wanted to go to was more so like uh, mechanical engineering or something okay. like that. The line was like super, super long. Mm. And then he had to go back to work. And uh-huh. if he didn't go back to work, he, he, he might've gone fired, something like that. Yep. So what ended up happening was he actually saw this shorter line for this thing called like computer engineering or something <laughs> oh like that. Oh my God. And wow. he was like, okay, you know what? If, if uh, worst case scenario, I go into that mm-hmm. and then uh, I'll, just, I'll just transfer later yep. uh, to the actual major that I wanted. Mm. So we did that. And because of that one little decision, yeah. Um, it's life changed forever. It's it, well, not only his life changed forever, my life changed. Like I wouldn't even be here if, if it yeah. wasn't for that one little decision. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I always thought that was fascinating. Um, mm-hmm. it's, it's one of those things where it's like, my mom always says like, luck is when opportunity, I mean, meets preparation. preparation. Yeah, yeah. Preparation meets opportunity. And so I, I just thought that was completely fascinating. And mm-hmm. I keep telling my dad, I'm like, imagine if you didn't go to that line, right? Yeah. Because of that, then he was able to get some jobs. He was able to solve this extremely weird coding problem mm. uh, for PeopleSoft, which is like a wow. really old application. Um, and then because of that, because he was able to solve that, he was able to get to Utah, Salt Lake City, and then he brought us all out there. And uh, that yeah, was the gateway kinda, city, Salt Lake. I've, I've, yeah, it was weird. Yeah. I, I don't know why Salt Lake, right. but that, that's kind of mm. what happened. So I don't know. And then with my mom too, right? I always, just like Ian's mom, like mm. I always saw her. Um, working and doing her best. Um, and you know, basically that really inspired me too, because Mm -hmm. there are many times when my Lola would have to pick me up from school because my mom was working two, three jobs at a time, really just trying to provide for us. And yeah, I just, uh, I'm just extremely, extremely, extremely grateful for both my mom and my dad. Um, you know, most people from what I understand, you know, they usually have really big inspirations from like Elon Musk or something, you know, like, and then funny enough, the older people grow, the more I realize like, oh, wow, they start to really appreciate their parents more and yeah. see them as role models. And I think I'm kind of hitting that age right now where it's like, you know, my mom, my dad, mm-hmm. people around me, the people that are closest to me are the ones that I really, really um, admire the most and, mm-hmm. and, and really respect. Ian, I really yep. respect this guy mm-hmm. uh, so much. And yeah, so, so I guess a lot of hard work, a lot of work ethic. But I, I think the main thing that I really took from my childhood that I realized like I was really fortunate enough to kind of develop this was mm. gratitude really. Yeah. Right. Cause when, when you go through a lot of that struggle, mm-hmm. um, you just, you really appreciate everything. Correct. I guess if you have gratitude, it's hard to see like the bad side of things. Right. Absolutely. Part. 
But yeah, I, I would say that's where a lot of the Filipino values came from. I would say that's where a lot of my, I wouldn't say hustle, but you know, my, I, I do it all for them, right? I yep. do it all for my family. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's something very common with a lot of Filipinos. Yep. It's like they do it for their family. They do it for themselves. Mm-hmm. They do it for the community. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, that's that's a little bit in terms of how I got raised. Mm-hmm. In terms of how I got raised too, it's like I just like random facts. I've probably lived in over 26 different houses my entire life. Wow. Whether if it's New Jersey, Connecticut, you know, Salt Lake City, multiple parts of California. I lived in like France for a year. What? So yeah, yeah, just just a bunch of weird stuff. And that's uh, that's kind of how I came to be. So, right. so yeah. That's amazing. And again, what we're going to be talking about here today is again, heritage and how you guys made it to a position to pay it forward. Because again, that's what brought you guys back here. Because there's a poll that the Philippines is always doing. Because again, I've seen two sides of this where, you know, first generation migrants just have so much, you know, they're fed up of the the status quo here in the Philippines. Like, "Ah, I don't want to go back. But the second generation and beyond always have that pull to go back to heritage. And that's what we're going to talk about later. But the next question I have is in terms of, your turn building your own hustles. What was it like after having that established hustle back home, the Pinoy Sipag that you, you have? But you know, I, I want to walk you through that early stage of your careers. Were there any hustles you had to go through? And what are the first hurdles that you had to overcome to put yourself in the position to succeed? Wow. I'm, I'm trying to think how far back should I be taking this? College, high school, all the way through the first job. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. Tito Tito Ian is going to the time machine. Yeah. Okay. Let's let's go really back because I'm not particularly known for having a good memory, but I'll oh. uh, you know, <laughs> I heard the time machine uh, sound, so uh-huh. we'll, we'll take it back. As I sorry. All right. So so if I think back in my let's go go to elementary school days. Right. Wow. That's if way I think back, back to my elementary school days. <laughs> um, as much as I mentioned that my parents were role models. Yeah. One thing that I really remember that they were pretty hands off from my education perspective. Mm. I felt like going to school, studying different topics, Mm. I didn't get much hands on Mm. assistance from my parents. They always just assumed that I'd figure it out. Mm. And that was really hard because I didn't really know what I was interested in. Mm. I didn't know what I wanted. In fact, for the longest time, I thought that I would end up, you know, doing an English degree. Uh, I found that I really liked to write. I wrote a lot of poems and essays, and that was something that I gravitated towards, but again, with no to little guidance. Mm. But so part of my experience of me just trying and figuring things out, I sort of built up a thick skin for, okay, I'm out here in the world on my own. I need to- Fend for yourself. I need to fend for myself. I I, I need to hustle. And so part of that, you know, uh, I remember, I think it was like in, in grade seven or eight, um, my dad had bought a computer. Okay. Uh, it was re- really early days. And my hustle was, I, I pretty much learned everything and anything about it from nice. uh, not only playing games on it, but I remember in the really early days, I was, um, uh, for lack of a better word, you know, pr- pirating, not even CDs, <laughs> but like like cassette tapes. Mm-hmm. Um, just, just playing with the ins and outs of even like the operating system. Uh, I was a tinkerer was, uh, I think, a better way to say it. So uh, in in my early days, I kind of lived this uh, dual kind of learning capacity of, as I mentioned, being really, really uh, passionate about English, but then also kind of my early beginnings of being technical. Got it. And so, so anyways, you know, fast forward, 
Uh, I remember going through high school and still trying to really figure out and understand myself. Um, and I think that that hustle of fending for my own continued. Mm. And looking back, I always did wish that my my parents helped me more. But at the same time, I think it made me sort of what I am today. Yeah. Um, and so I'm trying to dig into to, to something else, Ron, like, you know, I, t- to be frank, I, I don't have like past entrepreneurial activities. I mm. think I'm known, you know, if, if I think more about, say, a light bulb right. versus a laser, mm. I'm more of the laser type mm. where I do few things very well, but I go extremely deep. Nice. Um, and so, so anyways, coming, coming up in high school, that's when uh, I learned about uh, software engineering and programming. That early, wow. Yeah, and uh, I think it's the Canadian education that, that got us exposed. Nice. Um, and interestingly enough, as, as I mentioned earlier, you know, writing English, I found that writing code felt very similar in, in a weird way. In fact, similar, but like, uh, I, I don't want to speak too highly of it, but like easier in that it was logical. It right. was there's rules. Zero or one, there's rules. Right. Mm-hmm. Subject ver- verb uh, agreement is equal to what if else in somewhere else. That's right. Yeah, right. you know, if you if you compare, for example, languages like the English language versus, like, say, say C plus plus, mm-hmm. right? In English, there's a lot of ambiguity and edge cases. Right, right. But in an actual programming language, it's, it's rigid. It's, it's, there is no ambiguity. Correct. And and so, anyways, you know, my hustle over time was actually pivoting into software and computers, and so that's where everything really just started rushing in. I I soaked in all of this knowledge. And yes, at a very early age, I was building programs. Mm -hmm. Um, And, and so that's, that's what really like brought me to, you know, fast forward where I am today. Mm -hmm. I think going into uh, uh, college or university in Canada Mm -hmm. was, uh, so I, I studied from a place called the University of Waterloo. Mm-hmm. Which is not uh, the one in France, by the way, not where, the, where Napoleon died. All right, or, or got <laughs> defeated. No, Waterloo from Canada, right. and you know that that alone was a big hustle for me trying to get into that school because, again, not having help from my parents. So, as uh, maybe plainer as vanilla it sounded for you know in my shoes growing up, yeah, uh, th- that alone going from school to studying you know, the subjects that like caught my interest to, to actually going to one of the top schools in Canada yep. was a, felt like a massive hustle. Um, and I think going back to my parents with the hard, hard work ethic, I like to think of myself more as someone that can outwork anyone yep. versus outsmart anyone. Gotcha. I think it's more the, the work ethic and the willpower over anything. And I do attribute all of that to my Filipino roots. That's amazing. And again, that's a skill stack that's super solid because I kind of disagree with what you're saying that you said that you didn't do entrepreneurial. First of all, the ability to fix a problem is super entrepreneurial. That's what we do anyway, right? And then you find a way to monetize it down the road. But something that's also entrepreneurial in terms of that, so obviously you learn programming. Programming you can't learn if you're not going to excel in it, if you're going to be dependent on someone to spoon feed you. Because it's always this constant quest of understanding and solving problems using code. And lastly, you have the Filipino chip on your shoulder. And again, I, I, I'll let him quote himself later because we had this dinner and it's like easily one of the best fucking quotes I've heard in my life. Lorenzo did. But, <laughs> and dude, out hustling everyone. Most people are built to do a quick sprint and then give up. And the more I interview more people, it's like, shit, this is a rare gene. 
life is a marathon. Success is a marathon, right? And the more you, you know, most people want instant gratification, especially now in this day and age, like, hey, I just want to be rewarded. I want to be given my due. Where in reality, if you're ever going to get to anywhere near your dreams, you got to outwork everything and show up every single day, even if you feel like shit. There you go. Let me give you two examples because I, I remember this of, of like other, other times of just perseverance and, yeah. and hustling. So, so being in university, part of the program at Waterloo is that we do internships. Mm. And so for context, Waterloo literally is world-renowned, known for exporting okay. software interns. Like if you, if you ask any of the top companies, be it Google, Amazon, you know, any top wow. company, Waterloo is the main source. Mm. But for the, the students coming out of that program, you know, the first internship that you take on mm. is four months after your first four months of school. Wow. In other words, it's, it's very hard to get a first job because, we're, you know, we're so young, we have no track record, yep. um, et cetera. And so I remember looking at my peers, my, uh, they all landed their first jobs pr pretty early when you were supposed to take a job. Okay. And I remember that I wasn't able to land a job. It's, it's, it's meant to be for four months. Mm -hmm. I was already one month in not doing anything because I oh, wasn't God. able to land anything. And so anyways... I remember um, being creative and just honestly offering to volunteer for a company to Got engineer. Um, and, and so I ended up landing that. But as soon as uh, th that had happened, uh, it wasn't actually even a software engineering job. They put me in like a marketing kind of search engine optimization oh, role. Okay. <laughs> so the point being is that like, you know, I really sort of continued to hold my chin up regardless of not really doing the thing that I was supposed to be doing. Or you wanted at, time, at that time. Or wanted, yeah. And, and so anyways, coming out of that role, I, I really had to prove myself because yeah. what I ended up doing on that job, and I remember this very clearly, was not doing what they told me to do. Yeah. I ended up just building software for them. <laughs> Where I was Sneaky sitting in the guy. marketing mm -hmm. corner and there were yeah. the engineers in a different room. But I ended up building all the software literally for them that the CEO... They ended up creating some award, giving it to me. Which company is this? This is an old one. So they were called WowGow. WowGow. They built, um, it was a time when like Friendster and other social oh, wow. um, apps were out. Uh, they, they don't really exist now, but- um, Lorenzo was still in school when we were doing this. So. He was maybe in school, maybe <laughs> maybe in the crib. I'm not sure. Um, <laughs> um, but, but so yeah, from that story, um, yeah. honestly, I think what the point I'm trying to get across is, you know, being, being put in a box or be, there being a ceiling, but really punching through. Yeah. And, and actually that company ended up using some of the software I built to productize and sell wow. it. And so I, I moved on from that company, never looked back and it got easier and easier to land, um, opportunities. Yeah. Um, so, so that's one quick story. If, if I, if we have time, I can share another Absolutely. quick we one. We have all the time in the world. It's okay. you guys You're that it. I'm worried about because you guys are, you have a world tour coming up. So. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> no, so, we got time. Okay. Okay. The, the other day I was sharing the story with Lorenzo where, um, a lot of people ask me, you know, how I got into Airbnb among any other opportunities at a time where it wasn't a, a brand name. Yep. It was very early stage. I think one thing that. In retrospect, I, I find that I'm very lucky mm. about is I, I, prior to Airbnb, actually, I was working in the investment banking industry. So I was a financial, Ooh. I was a financial engineer on Wall Street, basically. What is a financial engineer? I've never heard of that. 
Yeah. Okay. So if you think of investment banks like Bar BlackRock, Morgan Stanley, yep, Barclays, yep. because these large corporations are so well capitalized, they're making, yep. they're printing money. Um, they also can afford internal talent that builds internal IP. What? Um, and so in the form of uh, trading applications, oh. um, very, very deep and large uh, uh, you know, data warehouses yeah. to extract more signal in trading. Mm -hmm. And so as a financial engineer, I worked on different trading desks. So mm -hmm. foreign exchange trading desks, cash trading. I think the the pinnacle of my time was working on what was called securities lending. Ooh. So at BlackRock, if you're familiar with like ETFs, yep. um, BlackRock acquired uh, uh, what's now called iShares. Okay. Um, and iShares was originally developed by Barclays Global Investors, another company that uh, was acquired by BlackRock. So I was a part of that original team um, at Barclays Global Investors, and yeah. one of the main uh, uh, one of the main competitive advantages that they had on making money because mm -hmm. it's an investment bank, their goal is to make money, mm -hmm. was doing what was uh, called lending securities. Got it. And so we were building the proprietary software around securities lending. So this was mm. pretty large scale uh, financial software, yep. uh, executing real trades against equities, um, building algorithms around um, yep. literally down to like penny optimization, mm. like actually. And so, so anyways, the thing that I want to share was like, I remember leaving that industry because I wanted to move away from it. I, I sort of felt like I learned everything I could. Yep. Um, and join uh, some technology company. The one that came to mind at the time was Google. Of you know, I always wanted to join Google. Mm -hmm. Like this, you know, this was a time where that was like the place to be. Yep. But I never was able to get in. Mm -hmm. I, I remember uh, going in, I think like 11 of the 12 interviews. I pretty Shit, much passed. That deep? Most Jeez. of it, yeah. I think oh, they were. I think they were pretty much like, oh, okay, yeah, like he's looking pretty good. But I remember I had this last um, interview to get into Google, and uh, they, they had basically asked me uh, a whole bunch about hardware. And oh. I tell a lot of founders these days because when I say uh, you know I'm an engineer, I, I focus on software. Not I'm not a hardware right um, guy. Um, but I remember that interview just crushing me because it was all about hardware. Um, I already called out, this is not what I know, but mm. um, long story short, that that's why I didn't um, get into Google. That's but fucked up. In, in retrospect, it's uh -huh. a blessing. Because mm. I think had I gone into Google, wow, I, I probably will still be there today, right? Like they, they compensate really well and there's big- Not a bad, not a bad gig to do, by the way. Not a bad gig, <laughs> but like that rejection- led me to continue on, on my search, on my pursuit, and in fact, way smaller stage, and then eventually got um, into Airbnb. Wow. I, I guess if anyone's listening to this, my, my point of the story is, you know, re regardless of what ceilings or walls you run into, punch through and continue, and like, yep. don't, don't look back. And in yep. fact, you never know whether that, that's a blessing or not. And Correct. if and leveling up, if you have the mindset that it's always a blessing and you just continue, like it leads to good things. Absolutely. So I think that's, that's a really a big part of my hustle over time is just having the willpower, punching through, really having a strong growth mindset, yep. never being let down. That's amazing. All right, now let's start your first break and when we come back, let's go to Lorenzo's side of the, the fence. Let's talk about that more after the break. 
I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at onepeloton.com. Hey guys, I have a very, very exciting opportunity I want to share with you guys. If you're a B2B startup founder, listen up. Your ticket to growth is here. Introducing Impact24, the Philippines' largest B2B SaaS challenge. Calling all startups in their pre-launch, pre-seed, or seed stages. This is your chance to accelerate your growth. Submit your pitch to Impact24 and get ready for a 10-week intensive program to elevate your solution. What's in it for you? How about up to 500,000 pesos in MVP project support, exclusive credits from industry partners, personalized mentoring, and a shot to pitch at SASCON PH, the country's biggest SAS conference this April. But yo, you gotta hurry up because submissions close on January 26, 2024 already. Don't miss out on this opportunity to take your startup to new heights. Apply now at sasschallenge.ph. That's sasschallenge.ph. And good luck, and I'll see you guys in Impact 24. And we're back from the break. We are still with Lorenzo and Ian, again, who told us their, their origin story. But again, prior to the break, uh, Ian already told us his, his, um, his the chips on his shoulder and how he kept punching through, even if there were walls and ceilings that were, again, mm, put against him. But man, he, he bore those walls. And again, we'll talk about his the continuation of their story and how they work together with Lo. But Lo, before we start about your, your thing, you got to yeah. do that, that, that quote. I still, I, I stole this quote though. I stole, I forgot. I care, but it was, it was this on Twitter. is so indelible, right? But yeah, but again, we really were having dinner in in uh, in LA in in Malice in in Santa Monica, and our our companion, our, our the guys that were responsible to giving us that fancy ass dinner, best dinner of my life, easily. So shout out to Sherwin Stanislaw and Richard Dahan, the Filipino centurions. They were asking us about a quote or uh, something that they live by, and this guy just said the most amazing quote I've ever heard in my life. What was it? Yeah, so that that quote was essentially, yeah, so I came back from the doctor today. Seems like that chip on my shoulder is permanent. There you go. Yeah, so I just, I thought that was like such a great quote. Yep. You said chiropractor. Oh, yeah, chiropractor. Yeah. You're right. It was, it was chiropractor. <laughs> See, even, even you remembered it better than me, so that's good. Because no, it was so awesome. I was like, what? I had never heard that. But again, you've always had that chip on your shoulder. And I think you have a whole stack of Pringles up there <laughs> on your <laughs> on your shoulder. But I want to understand, right? So uh, Ian told us his his origin story. How are you able to carve out that hustle and also talk about that skill stack that you've developed over the years? Yeah, I, I think uh, first off, I think something to mention is like Ian's story is incredible. Every time I hear it, there's always like new pieces to it. So it just yeah. always now I it's more to, to, to hustle share too. 
Great. Yeah. And then um, I think why me and Ian work so well is because we're so completely different in yeah. terms of the way we were actually mm. brought up in terms of our hustling. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, but very, very common patterns, right. In terms of breaking through walls, X, Y, Z, always finding the third door, yep. always finding different paths. Um, and so I guess for me, you know, he went all the way back to middle school. I guess I'll go back to middle school as well. Mm -hmm. I was, I was, I was trying to think of like, okay, well, what was I doing that actually correlates to what I was doing like today? Yeah. And then, um, have you ever heard of a game called Maple Story? Nope. Okay. Well, for everyone that's, listen everyone that's listening, it was really popular <laughs> I know, in the I know Sunka too. <laughs> yeah, I remember, it, was, it was very popular in the Philippines. And, like, early. But uh, in Maple Story, there was this thing where um, I was never interested in like leveling up in the game. Okay. I was always interested in buying and selling things to make oh. more money in the free market. Okay. Um, so, so is it like yeah. Monopoly? No, no. It okay. was like literally you level up your characters, you can buy oh, new equipments, all that. But it. I would literally spend all of my time finding the best ways to make money and always making nice. money on there. I, I just always thought that was the most fun thing to do. Negotiating over chat, mm. seeing um, how I can like buy certain things. I would always look up different events so I can see if I can get some things and flip it in the free market. Because like the free market is this place where you can... They don't have any more rip free market, but <laughs> yeah. So I was doing that in like middle school. And then, um, I, I guess if we traverse all the way now to like high school, yep. um, I went to three different high schools. And the reason for that was because my first few years at the first school was incredibly amazing. I was in, so, so Ian mentioned how he finds one thing and he goes extremely deep into it. Okay. Uh, I'm more of the guy that's like, I want to be amazing 80%. Like for example, if Ian's like 95%, like yep. top, 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 right? Yep. I want to be like 80% mm -hmm. at multiple things uh, and then put those together to formulate new skill sets that gotcha. was never even formed before. Okay. Right. So, and then at that point, you're top 1% at those specific right. new skill and sets. Right. Because you carved out a whole new category that never existed before. Exactly. So that, that's always just kind of how I've been mm. seeing myself. And so, you know, even in high school, I started like the mock trial club. I was in volleyball. I was in track in terms of long jump, triple jump. I, uh, I started in a musical for Phantom of the Opera. I what? Um, just did a bunch of different things. Okay. Um, I was in band. I was in percussion. Um, <laughs> you should jam with Jet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. When I, and mm -hmm. then uh, so, so did that for like the first two years of high school. Mm -hmm. Then my third year, and again, this is all thank you to my mom, really, uh, and my dad for really just like, taking a chance on this, but, um, you know, one of my mom's friends was like, Hey, you should, uh, study abroad when you're in college. Mm. And so me and mom were like, Oh yeah, let's, let's go see what they have for like high school. Let's see if it's even okay. possible. Mm -hmm. So we applied for this thing called, uh, the rotary youth, ex uh, rotary international youth exchange. I know rotary is pretty big over here as well. Yep. And out of like over 500 applicants or something like that, uh, me and this girl named Amanda were like the two chosen Wow. From the entire area. So we were just like, well, damn, now I kind of don't have a choice. So All right. my junior year of high school, I ended up actually studying abroad in France like, by myself. Oh my God. Yeah. And so I lived with like six different families the entire time, each one completely different. One lived in a farm place. Are one was one of the top 100 architects of France at the time. Shit. One was an amazing photographer, mm. um, you know, just different, different folks. And, you know, one was like an extremely well-educated lawyer. Yeah. Right. And so just understanding the different lifestyles and, and all this. 
I think for me, I, growing up, I, I didn't know what it was like to be like rich, you know, mm. like, and, yeah. and I've never really experienced that. You know, as yeah. you mentioned, we were usually, you know, you know, yeah. But when I lived over there and I was surrounded by that, mm. you know, I remember moments like, for example, when I was living with one of the top 100 architects of France at the time, mm. he had this just beautiful library. And literally he'd, he'd buy these, he'd have people buy him books just to add onto that library, just so like he can draw inspiration from it anytime. Right. And, wow. you know, th th there would just be these little pieces of nuances that I would pick up and you're just like, wow. And it was really them that was just like, you know, it was the first time like rich people were like, hey, like, you know, there's no reason why you're not enough. Like you can, you can do this. Like, like you, you can be here too. Sky's the limit. Yeah. And, you know, you just never really realize that though, right? <laughs> like, you, like if no one tells you that, which my parents did, but it was different though, right? Sure. Because, um, you know, when your parents tell you something, you don't tend to believe those things until later, right? Yes. But when someone else tells you And you've something, seen it in the flesh. Exactly. And you've seen it in the flesh, man, that just, just, <laughs> it's so different. Yeah. And then, so, I mean, um, what I really wanted to do, uh, I really liked looking at those arts books. So I always thought my life was either going to end up as a lawyer mm -hmm. or uh, uh, in the arts okay. somehow. And I got dissuaded by the lawyer part because uh, one of my host moms was like, okay, well, actually we won't even get to that. Like, but, but point is I, I didn't get into a lawyer. Uh, and okay. then for the arts, I'm, I'm still extremely interested. Like mm -hmm. uh, definitely have a lot of passion projects for that. But really the side hustle when I was in France was like, we were only allowed like uh, like 100 euros or something like that or less, uh -huh. right? But I really wanted to travel. I really wanted to do all this stuff. Okay. Um, so the Abercrombie store in Paris opened right. and I didn't live near Paris, but everybody wanted Abercrombie and Hollister. Okay. Right. It was like a thing there. Like for some reason, everybody <laughs> wanted Abercrombie and Hollister. Uh -huh. And so what I did was I, I tested the market. I like, I had a bunch of Abercrombie and Hollister because... I mean, that's what your parents get you when you don't, you don't have money. <laughs> and that's readily available everywhere. Yeah, in the readily av available <laughs> everywhere in the States, right? <laughs> On sale all the time. Yep. And so what I ended up doing was I sold all the stuff I had to my classmates. <laughs> that's amazing. And it sold for a really good price. So what I ended up doing was like, I asked my mom like, hey... Take a chance on me here. Can, can you get me like a like buy-in box of like everything oh, that shit. was on sale in Abercrombie and Hollister, all, wow. all the t-shirts, the hoodies, wow. usually size small for yeah, men. Because I'm naked now, I've sold all my clothes, you know? <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, exactly. So um, had that shipped over, then I was this weird kid that was selling Abercrombie and Hollister. The dealer. Yeah. Right um, buy low and sell high, just, just like MapleStory. <laughs> um, and, and so... That's amazing. Yes, yeah, so that, that's what I was doing. So that was my like my that was my bus tour money that that let me go around Europe. That yep. was my yep. coffee date money. That was my just going around money. That was my splurging. So so yeah, it was. It just kind of realized like okay, yeah, I made some good money over here. If, mm. if I could do this, maybe maybe I don't have to like get a job or whatever, right? Mm. So that then came back to the U.S. Graduated at a different school. Yep. Funny enough, I, I wanted to <laughs> I wanted to go to like, you know, like a Stanford or NYU or all Ivy that. But, mm -hmm. but the problem was um, when I came back from France, my, my credits didn't transfer. Oh my God. So I had to take like two years of high school in one year um, when I came back. And that was rough. That, that was pretty rough. But uh, but I still held like a bunch of different extracurriculars. Right. I was still doing some fun stuff. And then um, what ended up happening there was, was very interesting. I actually almost also didn't go to college 
basically, I, how do you put this? I'm not that great at math. Okay. <laughs> um, Ian, Ian's phenomenal math. I'm not, I'm not that great at math. I failed algebra. We good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I made it out um, hard. <laughs> th- there was a requirement that I needed to pass yeah. uh, for high school in order for me to, to go to the college that I wanted mm-hmm. to, or that I was supposed to go to. Yep. And then I literally like did not do well mm-hmm. in that class. Um, and basically my, my, my teacher was like, okay, yeah. you know what? If you pass this final, I'll let you go. Like yeah. I, I'll just, you know, we'll make sure that this gets right. You're right? a C, you're in. Yeah, we get a C, I get in. Uh, mm-hmm. So I take it. Guess what? Guess what score I got? A C? No, I got an F. Oh, fuck. I got an F. <laughs> and then and then she looked at it and she was like, oh, Lorenzo. And then she just, she was like, all right, just come back tomorrow. Take the same test. We'll figure it out. Right. right. And I did. And then I was like, oh, my God, I, I did horrible again. I'm sure I did horrible. Yeah. Uh, but next thing you know, I, I was so grateful and lucky because um i ended up having a c on my report oh, card so yes. it's because that one teacher miss marshallian that i was able to go to college shout out to you yeah yeah and and uh you know in college i i really wanted to be an entrepreneur uh, i kind of just figured like yeah i really wanted to do that hmm. um she already had that inner working so yeah, it was it was that flipping stuff man yep. it was it was like when you get into flipping and you, and you, and you <laughs> like realize oh you can make money like yeah right. you were you, you selling wonder. French stuff back in the States? <laughs> no, that would have been funny. I didn't even think about that. Yeah. But, uh, what ended up happening was I talked to a lot, you know, I was, I was looking at the entrepreneurship department. Um, yeah. and I was like, Oh my God, not a lot of people are actually building things here. You don't actually yep. get into the entrepreneurship classes until like your third or fourth year. Mm. Uh, where were you here? Uh, at this point of your, your life, which are you in California? Or? I was in California. Cal- I was in California. Yeah. Mm. SoCal, Orange County, Cal State Fullerton. Mm. I know another Filipino entrepreneur over here, graduated mm. from there, Carlo from Shoppable. Yep. But my man, no, it's, it's yeah, a- yeah. So, so, so what ended up happening was like, well, I realized like third and fourth year, I didn't want to wait that long to start a business. And yep. I, don't, I don't know why anyone would. Yep. And so what I ended up doing was I started an entrepreneurship fraternity with Ooh. a lot of my friends, a couple of my friends. And the reason why we did it as a fraternity is we, we looked at all the landscape in terms of school clubs okay. and we looked at the actual entrepreneurship club and it wasn't really getting a lot of traction. Right. And we were just like, okay, well, what will actually make like people pay attention in college? And we looked at it and it was like in America, there's this huge um cultural aspect of Greek life. Yep. You know, fraternities, sororities and all that. And we just kind of realized like, okay, if we pivoted this to like a fraternity mm. instead we were able to charge higher dues. We were able to, yeah, you know, get yeah. the branding better. People would take it more seriously and, yeah. and it worked. We were able to scale out to hundreds of students. Yeah. Um, we were producing a lot of businesses on an annual basis, sometimes nice. more than, you know, the actual entrepreneurship department. Mm-hmm. I'm fortunate enough to be on the alumni department over there. Nice. Yeah, it was it was just super, super fascinating. I, I personally failed at a bunch of businesses during that time. Um, but one thing, one thing hit off, so that, that was pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, during that time I, I did like absolutely everything. I, I think for that one where, where a lot of my main education was, and I don't think I've actually told this to you, but like, it wasn't actually at school. It was like, I Sweet. had the fraternity to build. Um, mm-hmm. I, I was able to, you know, with that chip on my shoulder for Stanford, yep. I found a way to get a fellowship for Stanford, oh. uh, as a, a university innovation fellow. Nice. Um, under the D school, the design school, which is where I learned a lot of like the design thinking, problem solving methodology, 
um, which, you know, sticks with me till this day. Mm -hmm. Um, And yeah, so basically uh, one thing that was really cool about that was like, I just realized, okay, if I really wanted real education, it probably wouldn't happen at school. Um, You know, like where I went to school, it didn't have like an elite uh, computer science program like Waterloo did or any of that. So I just kind of had to figure out, okay, well, in terms of entrepreneurship, how do I figure this out? So Mm. what I ended up doing was I ended up actually finding just people that I looked up to in terms of like the space of entrepreneurship. I I didn't know too much about tech startups. So a lot of this actually was more so towards like digital marketing, all Mm. that other stuff. Mm. So like uh, a dude named like Pat Flynn from Smart Passive Income. That's the guy that I learned from to start podcasting his yeah. videos. So, so that guy and just uh, a lot Wait, do you of know Pat? people. Uh, funny enough, I don't think he remembers me, oh, but wow. here, here's what happened though. Like there would be a lot of times where my hustle was, I literally, for my education hustle, right? right. What I did was I found all the conferences okay. that the people I wanted to meet were speaking at. Okay. You and then them. I, no, what I did was I literally, and mind you, I had no money at the time. Volunteer. So I can't buy it. Yeah, exactly. I volunteered. So for anything that you ever want to go to, especially as a college student, the biggest life hack for me was essentially volunteer for those events. Yep. Right. Get like access. Over here, over here, Spinus, right? Like kickstarts raid the fridge. Go volunteer for that. Yep. Like there's a bunch of different um things over here in the Philippines that you can mm-hmm. volunteer for. For me, it was these really big, expensive paid conferences. And I would take all my friends. And then what we would do is we would say, hey, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm a student at, you know, X school. Uh, I'd love to attend as a volunteer. I'm, I'm the guy that's going to be there at like 4 a.m. to put that, you know, to put out the chairs mm. and the guy at, you know, uh, at midnight to take down the chairs. Wow. You know, so, uh, you know, basically brought in a couple of my friends to really do that. And we just mm. conference hopped all over. And, and funny enough, I, I got Pat Flynn to speak at my college. Ooh, are you kidding me? Yeah. Uh, wow. and this is so, him without the beard yet. He's bearded now. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Mm. So, so that was just like one example, uh, interviewed Gary Vaynerchuk, all this other stuff, all because I like literally just figured out that, okay, these are the people that I wanted to meet. These are the people I wanted to learn from. I'm going to meet them no matter what. Yep. Like, I don't care if I don't have money. Like I slept in my car most times whenever mm. we would go there. Um, did you figure it out? Yeah, we just figured it out. Mm. We just really figured it out. And mm. and I think that's where a lot of this like third door, um, there's this guy named Alex Benayan, I think. And then uh, he wrote this book called The Third Door. And he really talks about this philosophy a lot where it's like, there's your first door, which is, you know, you know, like the long line in terms of the club, right? You yep. understand line, blah, blah, blah. There's uh, the second door, which is like the VIP room, you know, very exclusive. And then there's a third door where like you have to go through the back you have to find some window, get in, pay right. someone to like not look at that and then just, you know, figure I'll it out. Then you're in. In, exactly <laughs> sneak in. And I feel like a lot of my life has just kind of been that trying to find creative ways yeah. to get in the room. Yeah. Right. Because once you're in the room, yeah, that, that's where the magic happens. Right. Correct. Like, oh, well, you, you have a good chance of hitting what you want. Exactly. Even if like you're the lowest person in the room, yeah. like, you're in the freaking room. Like you're already in the room. There's, Mm. there's nowhere else to go, but up there. 
Yep. Right. And, and then I always try to, you know, I always try to surround myself way, 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 way better than me. Right. Like Ian is just, again, I highly, 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 highly respect Ian. Every time, every time Lodi. he tells you guys know what Lodi means? Uh, idol. Idol yeah. reverse. Yeah, so yeah. that's a Lodi. Lodi yeah, yeah. Ian. Ian's, 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 uh, Ian's an idol of mine for sure. Mm. And it's like, you know, every time he gives a story over here in the Philippines, I'm like, oh. dude, like, let me tell your story for you. Cause, cause his story is like <laughs> way, 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 way cooler than yeah. whenever, whenever he pitches it. Wait, yeah. I, I, I got to interrupt here. Cause I, I got a couple things to call out. One is Ron, I appreciate what you're doing, you know, with this podcast, like mm -hmm. I'm learning more about Lorenzo and you're really going deep. That's what we do here. Deep here and, <laughs> and sort of documenting it, capturing it. It's not, you know, common discussion that we have. Yeah. I yeah. think in going deep, I'm learning both the similarities and differences that I have with Lorenzo. Mm -hmm. I, I think trying to be useful to the audience. Yeah. If anyone's looking to partner with someone or co-found something, I think it's really important to find complementary mm. skills yep. and experience. Yeah, exactly. Like yeah. when I think about Lorenzo and I to, to contrast, to differentiate us, it's sort of like left and right brain yeah. here, yeah, right? Like it's it's funny actually the story that you brought up. I didn't know that you were sort of a failing math student. You know, you you, you, <laughs> you got an F, suck, but like <laughs> you got an F, but like upgraded to a C. And and uh, for, on my side, not not to flex or boast, but like the like I, I happen to have natural skills in math, and yeah. like actually I was commonly getting not only a hundreds, but I I literally. Um, got above a hundred, hundred ten percent because <laughs> in school, you know how like, that. you know, some of these, <laughs> some of these like advanced algebra courses, right. um, the, the teacher would always, uh, sort of have a bell curve to have, yeah. to help the, the F students be C students. And I was That's the one riding, uh, on top of the A plus to like the A plus plus. Oh, and so just calling that out because it's, it's so clear how sort of there's a yin and yang difference yeah. um and i think that helps a lot in in ventures and taking action yep. in just like having someone have your back but in a different mm. way in mm. a different direction so mm. um just really fascinating to learn this about us but trying to reflect it back to others in, in hopes that they you know if you are searching for a partner or co-founder look for someone that is is different enough correct uh, but can compliment you absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, mental sparring partner. Absolutely. Sure. And again, that dynamic of you guys having, again, go-to moves who are absolutely left field of each other. That's amazing and that's a magic. But before we talk about why you guys are here, again, just want to uh, summarize your amazing skill, skill stack that I've discovered here. So you've obviously developed adaptability early on because you go from place to place, friends to friends, and you have to start all over again. That's something that's unique, I guess, as an entrepreneur or, yeah. or a hustler. You're you know, whatever life throws at you, you know, you, you always make lemonade or whatever <laughs> that gives at you. And then second, again, you knew your strengths and you know, it's not going to happen in the classroom. I resonate with that, that a lot. The only difference is I did it here in the Philippines. Yeah, I you're a hustler. Found, you're a hustler. I always found a, the, the, the back door. Nobody gave me shit, right? I had to yep, find a way. Same. And in, the, in, in, in Tagalog, it's just kapal ng muka, you know? Yeah. It's, it's thick face. I always got there. And again, I always found a way to... Uh, give value to the world and eventually it just reciprocated, but it kept planting and planting and planting, even if people always said no, right? And again, you just kept trudging through your, your willpower to like, you know, get that belief that you're going to get through that. I resonate with you a lot because that's the same story. Just 100%. did it in Quezon City, in Pasay, in Makati, <laughs> and with, with a more janky setting. But now I understand. Let's fast forward to where you now harnessed all of the these things. I want to go back to Ian. So 
you've hustled through. Let's talk about how you you excelled and where you really think you've hit like the prime time. I'm not gonna say it's past you because you're still right, right in the thick of it. Talk about the Airbnb experience because again, what do you build? What you were you doing in Airbnb that made the lives of millions of people easier now as we speak? And then to what you're doing now. Yeah. Okay. So, um, who who doesn't like talking about where they excel, right? There you <laughs> so, go. Rich uh, Flex. Yeah. Ian, can you do some for me? Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's that's hilarious. Okay. So so let's let, let me zoom back. So so joining Airbnb. You know, quick quick backstory, and I want to shout them out. A lot of people do ask how I got introduced to yeah. Airbnb. One of my best friends, Danny. Right now, he's the uh, the ex CEO chairman of a startup called Maker's Place. It's uh, yeah. he he was the same YC batch, uh, so he was a, a serial entrepreneur, uh, mm. two thousand eight nine YC founder, same batch as Airbnb. Going back to my own experience, as I mentioned, I came from investment banking, looking to join a startup. Yeah. Went to my my best friend Danny and said, "Danny, what startups do you know?" Mm. Introduced me to a bunch, but Airbnb was one of them. Okay, so that's a bit of the origin story. But as soon as Brian, Nate, and Joe met me as a you know prospective engineer, okay. what stood out to them about me was like, "Wow, we have this engineer that knows about." foreign exchange that knows about transactions, currency, mm. ledger, double entry accounting. Ooh. That was my world, but yeah. to Airbnb. So so Nate Blacharsik, he's the CTO. Up to that point, he was the sole engineer building anything related to payments. And as all of you know, like Airbnb is, is a travel company, but it's basically like this global money transmission and remittance company, right? Yep. You have people around the world paying and getting paid. So uh, in order to build and scale Airbnb, they knew that they needed someone with that expertise to fully own. So when I joined Airbnb, you know, I was, um, I think it was like the seventh engineer. Wow. We were around 20 employees. I actually started on a Sunday because the CTO, Nate, just wanted to start in earnest. You know, he was very eager. Right. And I remember... The days before I started at Airbnb, I asked mm. the founder, Nate, hey, can you already just like create my GitHub account? Can you give me access wow. to the repository? Can you just okay. give whatever documentation you have? This was days before I actually was employed. And I took it upon myself to read everything that I can, like, Tinker research the code base. So when I started day one, mm. I knew the code base like down to a T. And Fuck. Nate was kind of like impressed because he was like, Jeez, you know, bro. usually, you know, usual, <laughs> you know, typical employees will come, they onboard, take, take a couple weeks, weeks months, right? whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, no, I had it in my preparation and my know-how and my initiative. Mm-hmm. I knew everything the first minute that I was there. Yeah. Um, and so anyways, on that Sunday, Nate was taking me through some of the challenges, um, some really gnarly ones, mind you, like... Mm. Because part of the system was built. But anyways, he handed over the, the sort of baton passed to okay. me. Like, okay. Ian, okay, the, this is now what you're owning and building. Right. And mind you, in the early days of Airbnb, there's no managers. There's no guidance. It's flat. Um, in fact, there were like no product managers. Like every what? engineer was... In the early days, no. Like So oh, the, the setup was all of the engineers reported into Nate, the CTO. Okay. Brian Chesky and Joe Gebbia, they were design-focused, but also product-focused. Okay. But as far as the collaboration and rituals go in the early days, no, there were no product managers. Each yep. of the engineers were expected to be 
product-minded and we're prioritizing and, and we're very autonomous, independent, building wow. our own. So anyways, that's just like, the, you know, the first days of Airbnb. Mm. But over my time at Airbnb, um, we continued to build quite a bit of software, you mm. know, commonly putting in, call it six, seven days a week. I was not married at the time, so it was it was fine. It was sustainable for yep. me. But I had a lot of fun because I think Airbnb really put me in an environment mm. which sort of unleashed me because I was looking for just really high pace, really intense yeah. kind of environment. I remember yeah. very commonly, so Brian Chesky, the CEO, he at times would announce features either to the rest of the company or to like the public what? about like, hey, here, here's this feature. We're about to launch it tomorrow. And yeah. the inside truth was like, this stuff was not even started or built yet. <laughs> And I was actually the developer that was like supposed to own it. So like oh, after wow. the public announcement, Brian would come to me and be like, Ian, we, we got to get this. <laughs> we got to get this out. So I would um, I, I would develop. And I want to say that it's funny if any other like early Airbnb engineer was here listening. What I think is that I was known to be able to develop software really quickly in terms of the quality. Like, is it 100% correct? No. That it works. Is, is it low? No, but it was it was like pretty much 95% there, but I, I was really, really quick. And so Brian Chesky knew that about me. And so we, we commonly sort of did this where like features were announced, I would develop and it would allow us to move really quickly. Right. And so, so anyways, you know, mind you, I was there for about six and a half years. And so in the initial years, I was an individual contributor engineer. Okay. Um, when we grew, I think it was to like about 30 or 40 engineers. That was the time where a lot of discussion was being held uh, on whether, or not on whether, sorry, that they had to scale the engineering org. So not only was I one of the first software engineers there, I was literally one of the first three engineering managers. Wow. And this is common, by the way, in industry where, you know, if, if any software engineer out there is at a company, there, there does come a point where you're either asked or you consider being an IC or a manager. Yep. And so I was sort of, I was at that crossroads at Airbnb. Because mind you, up to that point, I was always a contributor, yeah. uh, never a leader. And so I decided to take a risk. It was a risk because I was very comfortable in what I was doing and building software. Mm. But the risk was, you know, stepping up to be becoming a manager, uh, managing the peers, the, yeah, the fellow totally engineers, mm -hmm. you know, beside you. And, and mind you, I'll give you one example. One of the early engineers that literally was sitting to the left of me was this great guy named Brian Armstrong. Ooh. And Brian Armstrong, he's fast forward today, he's the CEO of Coinbase. So in Are the early days. Me? Yeah. So in, yeah, so he so Brian Armstrong, he was there just for one year actually. He was uh developing mostly on trust and safety product. Mm. Uh, I guess my point was is taking a manager position, it was super intimidating. And this is yeah. funny because I'm being vulnerable here. This was this is not stuff that I talked about in the past. Um, no, nor more recently. You get the exclusive, Ron. There you go. Um, no, you guys so, get the exclusive, whoever's listening. So if we talk about excelling, right? I was excelling as an engineer, then asked to be a manager, took it. But I was basically, and I knew at the time, putting myself in a rookie position yeah. because what do I know about management? Yeah. But also managing other engineers who... I'll call it out. You know, I said I was a quick engineer and I have my skills, but the rest of the engineers were better than me and, and you yeah. know, different in other ways. And yeah. so that was intimidating alone to have manage them and lead them. Correct. Um, so anyways, like I'll spare some of the detail, but like, you know, I, I managed for a couple of years. I ended up taking on more parts of the product and divisions. Mm. Payments grew from one engineer myself. 
I'll consider myself the second since Nate, the CTO, was the first. Yeah. But payments ended up growing to like over a hundred developers within wow. that oh function and specialty alone. And so I ended up becoming a manager of managers. Mm. Um, and then uh, one of the first directors of engineering. So the point here is that I really grew and scaled up in the organization, Ooh. which is really hard to keep up with actually in a, in a hyperscaling company. The thing that's hard about moving up in the org is that you really need to continue to sort of evolve and transform yourself, your skill sets. And learn. Yeah, once you've become an expert at something, you have to shed that off, try something new and try to share your expertise onto others. And so I did that literally repeatedly mm. over time. And again, coming from a place where I didn't have leadership experience before yeah, that. to figure it out too. So that continued, like literally there's a massive portfolio of initiatives that I started. So mm. I'll give you another example. The entire time, I think four years in, our engineering team was based in San Francisco. That was the headquarters. That's where all of us were. Wow. But as we were globally expanding, mm. we wanted to start, the engineering team wanted to start its first remote office. And then we had a vision for starting other hubs. And so when the discussion, the decision was made of, hey, who in our engineering team here in San Francisco mm. is best to set up a new remote office for success, a new remote oh. team, I was the one that was put up to lead that, okay. to lead the charge. And so Portland, Ooh. Oregon is, is where we uh, started the office. Actually, on, on this trip that we're here in the Philippines, Luis, um, he was a part of that team there in Portland. No way. Um, they were building out uh, the customer support team. And I seeded and, and hired uh, an engineering team in Portland that was dedicated to tooling for that global team. Nice. And so there's another example of just continuing to take on new challenges, I think really excelling. Mm -hmm. I think what was really helpful through that experience was just, you know, being given the trust of others. And I think I took on a lot of confidence through the founders, actually. So Brian, yeah. Nate and Joe, especially Nate, the CTO, on a personal basis. Mm. So outside of work, um, we were close friends. His wife and my wife actually hung out quite a bit. Nice. Um, and, you know, on those personal sort of situations hanging out, I remember at times Nate's, so Nate's the CTO, Nate's wife mm. would commonly kind of pull me to the side because we were hanging out at their house and stuff. And I told my wife this these days because I'm not sure. For some reason in those days, Nate's wife would kind of just, you know, when we're having drinks a little yeah. drunk, just casually call out like, hey, Ian, I appreciate you. Nate tells me you're like, one of the best engineers at yeah. Airbnb, love what you're doing, like keep doing it with us. And I tell my wife, looking back at that, like I don't know if Elizabeth was her name, mm. if she was telling me that because she meant it or telling me that to just continue to give me the confidence. Mm. Um, I'm not really sure, but whatever it was, I'll, let's assume that it was genuine, that really, really gave me the courage to keep doing what I was doing. I think it's genuine. Just again, just, just my wife does this a lot too. So every once in a while, she'd go to the stuff that we're doing. So for example, I travel X and then uh, say to Riyadh, Saudi Arabia, and our, my head of sales comes with me. And she does that. Tells my teams like how grateful we are because my only outlet of how raw I'm feeling is my wife. So I tell her all the shit before we go to bed. And she knows that the battles I go through, nobody know, else knows. And she knows who's really making an impact. So dude, for sure that was genuine. Because whatever you're doing to help out Nate back then, that shit that she told, he told his wife before going to bed that, ah, thank God there's Ian to help me out. So for sure, that was, that was genuine. Just putting it in my perspective that how my wife thinks a lot of the people I work with because they make my life easier. There are people that don't, but there are people that, ah, I've saved her. 
So. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. And actually, that's that's really great to hear from like, you know, third party listening into mm. the story. But I, I still believe that it wasn't. And, and anyways, the point there is that it really gave me the courage. And I think having that confidence, that courage, um, yeah. I really needed it through my time at Airbnb yeah. because we were growing quite a bit. Things were happening yeah. really fast, mm -hmm. right? Like uh, I remember at the tail end that I was there, we were onboarding new hire engineers uh, cohort batches like a week of like Ooh. 20 30 engineers Shit. like literally like in, in one week 30 new developers would be there we would have a set of onboarding material yeah. um you know at that scale they weren't the engineers that like knew the whole code base day one i mean Correct. granted we were much larger mm. what you know me and the other developers were trying to do was really build a high-paced culture of developers and so the onboarding was quick it was really fun during that time. We were working with really smart people, really creative mm. people, building product like no tomorrow, just yeah. pushing code. And uh, look at that product like that crazy. you guys built, right? I mean, it's booking an Airbnb now. It's like you're seeing Airbnb where we're recording so much easier because you built a solid ass payment system across the world that worked. But before we go back to low real quick, I want to ask two things. No, keep been going really, with him. This um, is being a bit in my head. A couple of things. Um, I see this a lot in the Philippines. There's a lot of devs, but there are very, very few that are 100x devs. When I'm saying that, like you, who can easily ship products, I'm guilty of that. Whatever uh, Nate was doing, it's like, oh shit, we're going to be doing this when the back is not even in staging yet. <laughs> and everybody's like, fucking Ron, what the hell are you talking about? Why did you announce that? But it's rare that I have like an Ian where we can pull it off and ship product in a 24 hour, 48 hour window. Right. Majority of the time it's buggy as hell when it comes out and I look like an idiot. Right. How do you find 100x devs? Because as a startup, especially if you're going zero to one, zero to 100, it's very important that you find devs who are able to pull it off. Because most devs, especially here in the Philippines, I'm not saying, I'm not shitting on you, but they struggle finishing a sprint. If they're given a ticket, that's it. They won't even go beyond that. And most of the time, they'd push back on timelines. When in reality, dude, we don't have much runway. We got to ship because we take forever. <laughs> we, you take six, six months, a year to develop a freaking app. You're dead by then. How do you find the right devs like you who are able to do that? And if there are devs who want to be like you, that's able to ship, what's the secret sauce? How are you able to ship that fast where everybody else is like, fuck this. I need 10 sprints <laughs> to do this, right? What's, what's the method to this? Yeah, I so two attributes come to mind, but I, I think I need to dig deeper because your question was how do you find them, which yeah. is is not an obvious um, no it's answer. Like needle in a haystack, bro. Yeah, I think that the attributes of a 10x engineer, 100x engineer, um, are that you need to have a hard work ethic, harder than than anyone else around you. You obviously need to know your technical stuff. Yeah, I think that's kind of baseline. But going deeper here, right? Like I remember early in my career. If you were to ask me, what do I do on my free time? Mm. Um, I was programming. To give the Airbnb example, I gave you that small example of me learning their code base. But actually, because I was in investment banking, I was coding mostly in C++ and Java. Okay. But Airbnb, their tech stack was different. They were using Ruby on Rails oh. and AWS. This wow. was, I, I didn't know that stuff. But surprise, surprise, I, I learned that. I made sure that I was an expert a month ahead Shit. because on my free time I was 
doing all of the tutorials, building, you know, sandbox YouTube University, projects, whatever. Well, I, you know, it's why at the time we didn't even have much YouTube content. It was oh, more just like reading up the, wow. the open source repository. So uh. what I'm, I'm hoping to extract out of this is if you're interviewing engineers, ask them, what projects are you developing on the side? What have you learned outside of your workplace that's different from what you're using in the workplace? Because if I look back at my experience, man, I was eating up languages and projects and, you know, toying around with web and mobile for fun. I did have other, you know, hobbies outside of that. But to be honest, I was spending a lot of time just programming. It kind of felt like it was just like breathing or running on a treadmill. Uh, so that's one example. I think the other is it's kind of chicken and egg, like experience really matters. Like I mentioned in the early days, a lot of us were making product decisions on our own. Mm. I think moving quick, as you know, Ron, like, you know, an engineer can work against requirements. Even if they build quick against those requirements, what do they work on next? Correct. And so if that developer is dependent on someone else for the requirements, it's capped or bottlenecked by the speed of them. Right. So there's many instances where an engineer needs to independently make decisions. Right. So I think this skill of independence or like, let's go get more specific because we're talking about startups yep. and making money yep. and extending runway. So this idea of independence as an engineer, it's really important to have business context and to yes. understand what's important for users and the product. And because you don't want to have an engineer who is really productive building random shit. Excuse my French, um, but that's a problem, right? Or making yeah. bad decisions of like, hey, let me re-architect this, or hey, there's a, like you know, tech debt is important, but addressing mm. tech debt for the sake of it mm. isn't. And so this is where I do think a lot of engineers kind of fall astray, where they may think that they're being productive. Yeah. But here's the other special skill: is that you need to be business productive. You need to be business impactful. Correct. And I think it's that combination of you know the developer that not only is practicing and preparing themselves in and outside of work, but they also understand how to make a business impact. When you have yeah. those two, that combination is extremely deadly. Absolutely. Um, and, and I think that's what I had. I think that's what every other you know, developer at Airbnb had. When you have that, it's just incredible what you can produce. Right. Now, last question before we go to, to, to Lo uh, and do a deep dive with him. When you are at the management, because it's easy to do that and perform that when it's yourself. And now you're managing hundred people and still trying to make the same velocity of what you're trying to do. And again, brilliant devs have their own quirks. Some are competitive, some are more collaborative and whatnot. How do you still toe the line when you were the leader? And early on, you said you had imposter syndrome. It's like, shit, why am I doing this? How the fuck do I get this done? How did you get over that? And then how did you make sure that everybody else at the back followed that lead? Yeah, it's, it's funny you mentioned imposter syndrome because it's a thing that for me personally, I never will call out about uh -huh. myself just because it's something that I, I, I don't think about. I, I, or, or here's one example, because not everyone is like this. I have yeah. the mindset that I don't have imposter syndrome, okay. even though if I go back in my story, maybe to an outsider listening to it, it's, it's clear. Right. But my mindset is that um, that's behind me. That's not a thing. Okay keep looking forward. But I think as well, being a leader, it's really important. And one thing that I even knew at the time was if you're a leader, like, you know, your, your energy, your tempo, your pace, people are looking at you. You're leading the pack. You're going into the wilderness. You're going into the unknown. Whether you know what you're getting into or not, 
is not the point. Yeah. It's always looking ahead, keeping your chin up. And so I think going back to your question on being a leader, I knew that I had to share my skills and sort of shed what I knew okay. to either my direct report engineers mm. or, or even managers, right? Because that there were kind of like multiple levels to it. Yeah. And my point there was as a leader, I knew that I would not be the single point of decision making. That's mm. not how to scale. Like I genuinely knew like, let me actually teach this engineer or teach this manager yep. the best that I know in hopes that they either do it as good, if not better, literally than me. And so I think like working in Silicon Valley, I really had that mindset of um, uh, th that growth mindset, right? Yeah. I wasn't the type of manager trying to hoard things or control decisions. Yeah. I was really trying to level up everyone because I knew 10 engineers are better than one 10x engineer. Yes, and absolutely. if I'm leveling them up even more, and so that was something that I knew the whole time. I didn't know how to execute all of it, yep. but I knew kind of the direction and the the guiding light. Mm. And that helped me through and through. That's amazing. All right, let's just take our last break and we come back deep dive again with Lo. And then we're going to talk about Filipino startups and what you've done because we have to have a hard stop. We have to go to Cuba after this. All right, let's talk about that more after the break. <laughs> Hey, Hustlers, it's time to talk business once again, and we're excited to share a bit more info about our sponsors, Sprout Solutions. And again, just like what I said at the start of the episode, you should check out Sprout's Payroll Starter as you grow your own startup. Because this bundle that they have is literally what you need to take your startup to the next level as you grow your employees. And this bundle is your key to freedom, including payroll outsourcing to experts, a subscription to timekeeping and attendance software, and government compliance services. Sprout's Payroll Starter has you covered for payroll, BIR, SSS, and taxes. All the stuff that no founder loves to do. So let Sprout handle the busy work and say goodbye to lines and tax payment stress. All this for as low as 5,000 pesos. Again, that's just 5,000 pesos all in for your payroll and HR needs. So visit sprout.eh payroll-starter-monthly-5k or again, just click the link in the description box of this episode to elevate your business management game. And again, big thank you to Sprout Solutions for liberating your time for what truly matters. Hey Hustlers, wish there was an easy way to open a bank account and grow your money without the hassle of lengthy application process and income documents? Well, I got good news because today's sponsor, Uno Digital Bank, is here to help you achieve your financial goals. You can easily open an account with the Uno app in just five minutes and one valid ID. And as one of the six digital banks licensed by the Banco Central ng Pilipinas, the company is committed to providing customers with simpler, better, and more accessible banking. Last year, Uno Bank was recognized by the Asia Banking and Finance Awards and bagged the title Open Banking Initiative of the Year due to the success of its partnership with Gcash, one of the Philippines' leading mobile wallet platforms. And with the Uno mobile app, you can access an hashtag UnoReady savings account and enjoy daily interest crediting. With their hashtag UnoEarn or hashtag UnoBoost time deposit accounts, you can enjoy a high interest rate of up to 6.5% per annum. Enjoy monthly payouts with hashtag UnoEarn and flexible tenors with hashtag UnoBoost. 
Other app features include pay bills, the Uno Virtual Debit MasterCard, life insurance, scan and pay with QRPH, and phones. And the one thing that I really love about Uno Digital Bank is they're open to collaborate with a lot of Filipino startups. I've had a chance to see the partnerships that they've had lined up with the startups that they have, and it's truly exciting to see how a digital bank like Uno can enable startups to unlock the power of fintech through digital banking. So if you're ready to elevate your banking experience, download the Uno mobile app today from the Google Play Store or App Store. Or if you want to collaborate with them, I'll be happy to give you an intro. Just shoot us an email at hello at huffleshare.com. Hey, Hustlers, I hope you're having a great 2024 so far. As you know, a lot of startups had a very challenging 2023, and hopefully things are going to do better this year for a lot of us. Not just because it's the year of the dragon, but also because our sponsor, Dragon Pay, is here to help your startups process payments in the most efficient way. Established in 2010, Dragon Pay empowers businesses of all sizes to accept and disperse payments through secure and convenient channels giving your customers the flexibility to choose the payment method that suits them best. With over 85 partner channels, 35,000 partner branches nationwide, including QRPH, e-wallets, crypto, buy now, pay later, and many more. They also process an astonishing 15 million transactions processed globally each month. Dragon Pay is your trusted choice for online payments. And here's something to show you how legit Dragon Pay is. Dragon Pay was named Fintech of the Year at last year's Philippine Fintech Festival in 2020. So let's make 2024 extra prosperous for you and your startup in this year of the Dragon. For more details, head on over to dragonpay.ph. That's dragonpay.ph. Trust the pioneer, trust Dragon Pay. We're back from the break. We are still with Ian and Logan. Super amazing hustle. I love that we did a deep dive because not a lot of people actually can come clean and show excellence that way. There's a backlog in 10x entrepreneurs and even 10x devs in the country. We A lot of the devs here um, in are ending up in dev shops. There's nothing wrong with that. But the problem is how do you build product consistently if it's just a project basis? It's sad, but that's a sad reality. And most devs need to have that mindset to really, you know, I've met some of those that are like you from a local setting and they're doing way, 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 way better than a lot of the, say, normal devs that you typically see. All right, your turn, my man, Lo. Um, Excellence. How did you go from struggling in math to, you know, uh, going from place to place and what breezes through your career and how you were able to get that bagged? Yeah, absolutely. I'm going to go through a much shorter time frame just for the sake of time, of course. And also yeah. just because all the stuff here to learn really was for me and my like all the oh, stuff. Come in on. Terms you of, guys are equally as great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, yeah. I agree. But, but, but in terms of there is an extremely huge disparity of, of amazing tech talent over here in the Philippines. Yeah. And I think that was incredibly important what you just said in terms of the mindset most specifically. Absolutely. So I'm just going to go through mine real quick. So, you know, in college, again, failed at a bunch of companies, was even like a sushi chef for a little bit. Ooh. And then what I ended up doing was um, I was on my last dollars, ended up uh, meeting a friend through the entrepreneurship fraternity that I started. Okay. And we essentially built out 
this agency mm. that helped Chinese manufacturers build and scale their products in the United States. Ooh. Why? Uh, well, we realized that dropshipping was going to get popular in the next few years. Oh. And we were like, yeah, we don't want to compete with that. In mm. fact, we think it's a bigger market if we literally just go directly to the manufacturers simply because these manufacturers are going to end up undercutting everybody in terms yes. of pricing. But what do they suck at? They suck at branding. Yep. They suck at marketing. They suck at, you know, a lot of the distribution. They suck at, you know, building yep. websites. So, I see. so we ended up doing that, helping out with everything from all those things to three PLs. Uh, we had Ooh. a couple multi-million dollar brands under our belt. Sure. Um, successful Kickstarter. And yeah, so that was pretty cool. Did that for a couple of years outside of college. Mm-hmm. And then in all honesty, a lot of family stuff was happening during the time. Mm-hmm. And so it took a little bit of a hiatus from there, stayed on as an advisor. And what I honestly ended up doing for like the next few months, uh, I was like, oh, I'm going to figure out tech. I'm going to figure out tech, whatever the hell that means. Right. And what I ended up doing was uh, for a few months, I literally just flipped vintage watches on Reddit because wow. <laughs> uh, I developed this huge passion for vintage watches. Oh, and right. then I watched a bunch of anime. So it was just God. all vintage watches <laughs> and anime for a few months. And then from there, a buddy of mine from that Stanford program I was a part of uh, was like, hey, you must be getting bored. We have okay. this position open um, at SAP. You should check it out. Okay. SAP is like this Fortune 30 company, but I knew nothing about tech and I knew nothing about SAP. Right. Yep. But what I did realize after interviewing a few people over there was that what they really wanted was someone that knew how to build pitch decks mm. right? and knew how to spot opportunities, problem solve. And um, I was fairly confident in my ability to do that. Yep. So I sent in two pitch decks for, you know, they didn't really ask for this, but I literally just gave them two pitch decks that I created from scratch mm. for businesses that I believe were were worth mm. to build within their portfolio. Yep. You know, again, coming from someone with zero tech background, someone with zero any of this, they took a chance on me. They were like, all right, well, if this guy was able to do this in yep. a short period of time, let's let's give him a shot. Let's see what he could do. So I was Amazing. extremely grateful for that opportunity. Okay. Um, ended up building a bunch of pitch decks over there, helping build and scale out a HR tech company, selling to Fortune 500 companies. Mm-hmm. So that was an extremely interesting experience because mm-hmm. uh, I've never done that type of enterprise deals before. And that was very cool. Also was fortunate enough to become a corporate venture partner, which is a bloated term, right? But, you know, I was fortunate enough to really do that at SAP as well as uh, one of the youngest. uh, Funny if I was like one of the youngest EIRs and I was one of the youngest corporate venture partners. And from there, I was able to build out with the VP of portfolio, basically the entire entrepreneurship program uh, for the United States. Underneath the entrepreneurship program team, um, Mm -hmm. which was led by my friend Alex. What's up, Alex? Shout out. You're not going to listen to this, but what's (laughs) up? Uh, But, you know, it afforded me a lot of opportunities and um, just really cool things that I was able to do from a corporate venture standpoint. And just like Ian, right? Like when you're in a really big company, though, uh, Mm -hmm. you still feel extremely, if you're in a hundred thousand person company, you still feel like a dog in the machine. So, you know, whenever you feel like that, what I was able to do with this corporate venture partner side, like that actually wasn't a part of my job description. And just like what Ian was doing in terms of like finding your opportunities, finding and building whatever you actually wanted to do, even if you weren't paid for it, Mm. that's kind of how I was able to really build the entrepreneurship side and focus on the corporate venture partner side. Like that part was not a part of my like job description, right? But it's finding these interesting things that you should be building, being proactive as opposed to reactive, which is what really gets you somewhere, which is what really builds your resume, which is what really gets you to some interesting spots, right? Mm -hmm. That being said, in terms of 
being a large company, 100,000 person company, you still feel like a cog in the machine. So I ended up transitioning over to actual venture capital because corporate venture capital is you know, definitely not venture capital. Mm. Um, lots of similarities. Corporate venture capital is more buy build partner, you know, which is separate from actual venture capital. So got into that, was lucky enough to meet an extremely, extremely all in one, super encompassing person yeah. that led a, a small boutique VC firm called Operate. And I, I was able to join them after mm. a few conversations. Again, over there, I was able to get in as well because I gave some presentations without being- Always the third door. Right always there. the third door, always the third door. And so, funny enough, I never really applied to any of these. Like for example, for SAP, yeah. they had me actually apply to the job after they gave me the offer. Uh, so, <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah, so I've never really uh, applied for a job before. And then, so yeah, so got that and then was helping, doing a lot of due diligence for a lot of deals, X, Y, Z. The main thing that I did there was interesting was I was a fractional growth officer for a bunch of the different companies over there. Everything from like FinTech to, you you know, HR tech to like a foodie app. Like I was going door to door to door to door to different restaurants in LA just to validate product. Right. So, you know, talking to them. Straight up hustling right there. (laughs) Yeah. But the thing is, like, the point is, I still really, really love building. Nothing's beneath me. And I, you know, I I think I'm a builder for sure. I mean, me and Ian are both builders. Like, Mm. we we see things from that perspective. And then after that, I was fortunate enough to meet a friend who essentially got me. uh, He was basically, he worked under like Sean Parker, Ben Horowitz for a bunch of Andreessen Horowitz companies. And he was a chief revenue officer for a lot of really big companies as well. Wow. Um, and he had his own consulting firm. And so I was able to join him at Tap Group. And Woo. I was extremely lucky. And there we focused on a lot of helping early stage startups grow and scale. You know, a lot of it's really building successful sales teams. Mm-hmm. A lot of it's recruiting. A lot of it is like fractional growth and, yep. you know, leadership. But that allowed me a lot of freer time as opposed to in my other roles. And yeah. that got me started to think about which we should get into in terms of our next subject in terms of like Filipino angels. But yes. yeah, I'll leave that to you in terms of how. No, that's actually my next big question. How did you guys even meet each other and why the Philippines and why did you want to become an angel here? Great question. So I'll get started with this because me and Ian uh-huh. were actually thinking of this from two separate like timelines, two separate places because okay. Ian's in Canada. Right. I'm in California. Mm-hmm. And so... I'll give my perspective, then Ian's going to give yep, his perspective. Yep, yep. But essentially what happened was, um, you know, I was sitting in a boba shop one day mm-hmm. and I was like, you know, out of all the roles I've ever had, I did not know anyone that was Filipino. There's like one design guy at SAP, but like yep. no one that was VC, no one that was, you know, really big founder that was Filipino in my personal network. Because yep. now obviously it's proven that there's a lot. Um, <laughs> but in my personal network, there wasn't. And so... I literally went on LinkedIn and I typed in venture capital and I filtered to the Philippines and that's when a bunch of people showed up and I was like, oh my God, this is is all very cool. Mm -hmm. You know, there's actually people here Mm. and I just ended up adding them. Once I started adding them, I got into conversations with them. And once I got into conversations with them, one thing led to the next. Um, Mm. I met a gentleman named Dexter. Dexter Shout out my man, Dexter. Yeah. And, you know, he introduced me to a few people. One specifically being this guy over here, Ian. Oh, you guys met through Dex. Yeah, I so Dex was, Dex was the one that introduced us. Oh um, and Dex has been, you know, you know, I, I always I always say this out loud whenever yep. I see Dex in the room and there's other people. But 
we would not be here today if it wasn't for Dex. Yep. And I'll say this over and over and over again, right? Like Dex was the catalyst yep. for a bunch of all this to happen yep. simply because he was the one that introduced me to Ian. Basically, uh, me and Ian were able to meet because of Dex. And once we met, we just kept having conversations over and over and over again. And before I continue that, tell your part and then I wanna, we'll, I'll get back into the rest Actually, of before you said, let's just give a shout out for those who are like listening, who the fuck is Dex? Dexter is the co-founder of Caliber, who's right now founder and CEO of Swarm. Easily one of the best product guys, best builders, one of the OGs yeah. of the startup ecosystem. Absolutely. How did you meet Lo from your point of view and how did you even meet Dex? And how did you guys even connect? All right, let's do this Filipino Angels directory. Yeah. Okay. So on my side, let's call it north of the border yep. on, north. on the, east, the north. east coast. Right. North of the wall. Um, right. In the, the white six. walkers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my, my origin story behind Filipino angels. So as I mentioned in my story, I'm mm. from North America, from US and Canada. Mm. In terms of timeline, right, there was the pandemic that happened in 2020. Yeah. At the end of 2020 is when Airbnb went IPO. Um, that was the big moment for yeah. all of us, right? And I forget the time, but it's it's been like 10 years past, yep. sort of due and a uh, super exciting moment, obviously. But because it happened during the pandemic, it was kind of like a, uh, I don't know what the right word is, but it was amazing, um, but it was bittersweet. That's like the worst time to do it in the middle of the pandemic where you're in travel. Yeah, it was. It wasn't, it wasn't yeah, in the sense out. of like yeah. from, from a connecting back with colleagues and celebrating. Yeah. We didn't do that in person. It was all digital. So that was yeah. a downer. Ah. I mean, the upper was, you know, 2021. Um, this was at the high time of the market. So it was it was a very lofty valuation. So that was a plus for all of us. There you go. Or at least for the ones that sold early. Um, <laughs> and so uh, for me, that was a big moment in my life because it was sort of a culmination of a lot of effort. Yeah. You know, blessed and fortunate liquidity event. Great. That aside, what I did was sort of look back on my life and career mm -hmm. and sort of stuck my head back up because at that point it felt like I was heads down the whole time, okay. working, working, hustling. But then I felt more of searching for somewhat of a passion play initiative. But yep. let me tell you actually more greedily in a sense what it, this all means to me. Okay. Um, you know, I have three kids now. I have a six-year-old boy, a four-year-old boy, and a 10-month-old girl. Wow. At 2020, I forget what ages they were, but they were much younger and there was just one or two, whatever. And so when I look back at my career and then I, I looked at my kids, what was top of my mind was I want to make sure that they have many role models that they can look up to so that when they, you know, come of age, they have all the confidence that they can get. And that I hope that their lives and the role models they can look up to is different than what I had because at least from a Filipino standpoint or connecting, there were not many role models for me yeah. in the industry that I'm in growing up. And so sort of in a greedy way, what I wanted to do was, you know, for my kids in their future, how much can I make a dent or influence into the network of people that they can get inspired by, whether it was outstanding, you know, minority operators, building software or design to entrepreneurs. And I think eventually to, to investors, for people that are in that capacity, to me, re really represented being at the top of their game and being able to deploy capital and apply their influence to the world. Yeah. So that's where it originally started for me, but also thinking, to be honest, more broadly, like, hey, what about that next Filipino that's like either considering uh, going into college uh, or going into a boot camp and what inspiration can they draw on? And mm -hmm. so when I talk to more people in the community, specifically Filipino-Americans, 
a common problem I found was that they didn't know the other faces out there. They didn't know that there's this random engineer at Airbnb that's Filipino. They didn't know that there's a Lorenzo. They didn't know that there's these other founders that are doing outstanding things. And so as I met more and more, and so now I think this is where our um, sort of initiatives align, Lorenzo and I was, you know, up in Canada, I was taking on more and more calls. I was staying up late at night in the morning. And to me, the countries that I want to focus on that I have been is US, Canada and Philippines. Yep. Why Philippines, it's the roots. Why, you know, why my, my kids are as well. I want yeah. to, um, you know, help connect that community. And so over time, continued that initiative of networking and meeting people, yep. uh, met up with Lorenzo. The original thinking behind Filipino Angels really was, let's put these faces out there and let people connect and honestly just make it easy so that mm. the efforts that we were doing of taking these calls, it's not, not everyone needs to do that. Like just benefit from, let's call it the Rolodex of people yep. with no strings attached. Right. And you guys built that site again, amazing. Because now if you guys want to know the site, I'll link it up on the show notes in this episode. Filipinoangels.com. There you go. Yes. Very, again, that was my role. I started adding up the hustler and he's like, "Mm, all right, now I have a Rolodex. I don't have to go search them up on LinkedIn. But a couple of things I want to zoom in here. You guys built this site and there's one specific thing that you were telling me, Ian, uh, when we did one of the calls early on before you told me that you guys were coming over. Was there a stigma about the Philippines that Western money wasn't going to be the most comfortable to deploy here? What was that stigma? And again, Probably that's why you guys went here to really find out if that's something that's legit or not. What was that stigma prior that you guys were had to overcome? I'm trying to remember that conversation, but uh, in terms of the stigma, I think ultimately for me being in North America, seeing the other investors in the deals that they're active in, yeah. right? From an investment perspective, you're you're looking for that hundred x opportunity. Yeah, and part of that hundred x opportunity is underwriting like what is involved in that company Mm. from the team the founders you know Mm. what is their unique edge to the market the market that they're building in what is the problem and the solution you know etc and i think the stigma okay that's actually a a, an honest and truth word i was going to say it's a harsh word but let's just be honest there's that when i met other investors and and they're comparing different opportunities from countries Philippines just doesn't come top of mind or a different way to put it is that like larger opportunities are commonly seen elsewhere or perceived seen elsewhere. Yeah. Um, But I think another optimistic way of looking at that is that we're the underdogs. Yes. And I always love the story of underdogs in my own upbringing. I felt like I was that. We always I think there's a commonality Mm -hmm. that we share and being the underdog gives you the drive, the initiative, and the potential. And so I think stigma, sure, but especially for people investing and looking for potential, you want to do it in the underdogs. Yes, absolutely. Lo, I want to understand why you decided to go here. And now after going through this tour, this hell of a tour that you guys did over the past week when we're recording this, what did you guys now find out? Before we get into that, mm-hmm. I think one thing to very important is something in terms of what we actually throughout this week have kind of formulated as kind of the mission of Filipino Angels, right? Yeah. And ultimately, what we've noticed through everybody is it's not only Filipinos that want to help out Filipinos. It's, it's nope. everybody that wants to help the Filipinos, mm-hmm. whether if you're in the Philippines or not, yep. right? And so ultimately, our mission right now, and this could change, but this one's pretty catchy for us at least, yep. is to increase the global GDP of Filipinos everywhere. Yep. 
right? So whether if you're a Filipino here in you know, the or, you know, the entire diaspora, mm-hmm. like how do you increase the global GDP of Filipinos, right? And a lot of this really has to do with company creation. A lot of this has to do with job creation. Mm-hmm. And a lot of this has to do with funding, right? So we take those three and we definitely focus on that in order yeah. to, to really increase the GDP, right? Yeah. For Filipinos globally. And so, you know, with that, we came to this conclusion because, you know, after everybody that we're meeting, we all just realized that what was very important, you know, me and Ian share this for sure, it's just these conversations, yeah. right? Like the best events that we were able to go through while we're on this immersion program is essentially, you know, whether if there was a presentation or not, but it was that Q&A session. It was that one when we all really got to go to the nitty gritty of like, oh, why aren't things working here? You know, what can we actually improve? And it's this knowledge share of everything, right? And I really believe, you know, now that we're able to meet through Zoom, we're able to meet through all these other places, there's this large opportunity for this reverse brain drain that the Philippines is going through, you know, by simply building a bridge. And so Ian mentions this a lot, but it's like, you know, really what we're doing is we're building a bridge between the Philippines and the rest of the Philippine diaspora. A fucking man right there. Because I, I told you this while we were in LA. That was the shtick, but I'm coming from the, the, the motherland to do it because I yeah. see excellence everywhere. There's excellence here, but we don't learn from each other. When exactly. in reality, there's urge from both sides to actually bridge that gap, nobody's just doing an effort to make it consistently where it's not just a one-off or people getting taken advantage of. Yeah, absolutely. And I think what's also amazing in terms of what we've been able to build and just to kind of show how much mm. people really want this yeah. is like, if you look at the Filipino Angel site right now, actually, it might be a little different when we because we got, you know, there was a lot of professionalism issues. But, you know, if, if you look <laughs> at it right now or go through Wayback Machine or archive.org and then look at it. Yeah. It was essentially just a notion page. It was it's literally it's literally just a notion page. Yeah. That's like, hey, here's what we do. Here's the sign up if you want to join us. And then it's, an index it's literally things. an index. It's super just here's your first name, last name, your company, your Linked. LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. And it's literally just a list of people yeah. that are actively, you know, angel investors, venture capitalists, founders, yeah. amazing operators. Yeah. It's just that list, right? right. And we've been able to hear some incredible stories. Of yeah, like yeah. Let me let me yeah, let me yeah, chime yeah, in here because I think here's the beauty I think of what we've been doing, which mm. is um, what we have in common is that we're action takers. Um, and as what Lorenzo was calling out, it, there's nothing polished or pretty about Filipino angels, but at the core, the crux of it, what we knew the most important part was was sort of putting out our, our networking, our social capital, our contacts for people to access. And while being here in the Philippines, meeting founders in person, we've already heard two different stories from founders of them getting funding from the angels listed there that they discovered as a part of Filipino angels. Mm -hmm. And in fact, has got them to be existing as a startup today because those angels have committed sufficient capital to provide their runway. And And we didn't know that. We didn't know that. We didn't know that. We, We had no, you know, take carry in that. Um, This was simply people adding value to each other. And Mm. I think very simply put, there's a lot of great communities out there as well. I think of like passionate Filipinos. I think what distinguishes us is that we are a group of builders and operators. And the fact that we're global, we're importing our skills 
and experiences mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. that that we want to exchange and 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 give. And whether it's some of us moving back or in an advisory capacity, basically when Lorenzo calls out that bridge, the way I like to think about it is it's a bridge of people bringing back the best of their knowledge and abilities. Yes, to help together and you know, for lack of a better term, like maximize collaboration or just like do more together. Mm, And I think for for us younger generations, Mm. um, I think there's very much that hunger and that passion and that thirst for us to do things together. We're still all figuring it out, but you know, give many more years and decades of this, I think it leads to a, a different type Absolutely. of uh, collaboration than, than the past. Yeah. Right? And, you know, a lot of people always ask us to, right? It's like, oh, Ian, Lorenzo, like, what's the catch? What's the catch of this? There is no catch. There, that, that's, that's the beauty of <laughs> it. Building right? a bridge, guys. There, there yeah, it is. Yeah. I mean, because think about it this way, right? Like, in all honesty, as, as Ian kind of mentioned or alluded to, the Philippines isn't even on the map yet, man. Nope. Nope. Right? If we're being honest with ourselves, nope. right? And so... Until that point, like we have to stop with this, you know, crab in a bucket mentality. Oh, man. And we have to help each other out with no strings attached, right? Like, you know, every event that we go to, like we're going to go to the Kuba one, which, which we should in be a bit, wrapping we're up. All of us, right? There you go. Yeah. Uh-huh. And all we're going to do is we're going to provide as much value to startups as we can. Yep, yep. Nothing in exchange. You know, this cross class, every single place I we went to, just yep. as much value as we can provide. Because mm-hmm. in the end of the day, for us, selfishly, Right. Mm-hmm. If we're talking about selfishly, well, we can even invest in them if we really believe in them. We can mentor them to make sure that they succeed. We can partner with them. Yep. You know, we can hire so many some possibilities. People right. Mm-hmm. So, so for just for that reason, the collaboration in itself yeah. is well worth it. Mm-hmm. Right. We just want all Filipinos to be lifted up. Yes. Absolutely. You know, all Filipinos. All right. right? Now, last question before I let you go, because we got to go to yeah, we gotta go. She will kill us and Ben Alderson also. Last question before I let you go. What do you guys see now? Uh, what's exciting uh, that you guys see in the ecosystem, knowing that you now have firsthand of pretty much met everyone that mattered here in the ecosystem? Not everybody. Uh, almost, there's still a lot of people. Almost. Uh, yeah. But what, what do you see now? What, what, what's, what excites you over this very intense trip? By the way, I wouldn't, have, I wouldn't do that if I was you, but again... <laughs> massive props to your endurance. I can't do that. Right. But what do you see and what excites you uh, in the the ecosystem? What are you looking for also in the startups? Of course, you guys are angels that you'd like to invest in. Yeah. So in this past week, what was most interesting to me was meeting face to face with entrepreneurs. And what I found was that a lot of them are really early in their journey. Zero to one or one to 10. Yes. Like Mm. even like pre-pre-seed bootstrapped actually in a lot of cases. (laughs) Um, And what was exciting was these are very like talented people. Like I've been learning about their backgrounds and Commonly, they're they're serial entrepreneurs in big and small ways. Yeah. So my point being is that the potential is clear. Yeah. Uh, I'm really looking forward to reconnect with people that I've since connected. And obviously with me going back to Canada mm. in a few weeks over Zoom and such. But uh, continuing to add value, to talk about ideas, to challenge their focus. I think one yes. thing that I found mm-hmm. was that some entrepreneurs, they're split focused or yes. you know doing more than one thing, which is another way of saying not focused. I think how the, our angel community can help is gaining some of that focus, thinking about prioritization frameworks, taking bets and risks, really doubling down on an idea and going deep. 
And so whether that's in an investing capacity or just giving advice for the sake of it, I'm really looking forward to that. I'm looking Mm -hmm. forward to hearing more ideas and seeing after some of that advice is given what happens when they do gain that focus and what insight, you know, whether they pivot from that or or not, they double down. So I'm very excited about that. That and I'll I'll just call out and appreciate all of the VC firms locally that we visited. There's a huge amount of collaboration that I see ahead of us. Yes. on exchanging deal flow and just exchanging notes. So very, very excited about the future. Absolutely. And we need more founders and startups. There's this new wave now of, again, I call them the Sunicorns that are paving the way for everybody else. There's a couple of waves after that. But in order for us to really make a dent, the best startups haven't even made yet, right? And that's what's exciting. Because as more seasoned founders come in, as seasoned angels like you guys come in and we bridge that gap, the, our best days are way, way, way ahead of us. And if, if with this collaboration, it is just going to get better again. Thank you, Lo and Ian, for doing oh, 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 such just, just an amazing... That, okay, just just right. for that last okay. part, too. Mm-hmm. Oh, whoops. So I, I want to say this, too, right? Like, not only is there a need for a bigger focus, yeah. but in all honesty, I think Filipinos need to dream bigger. Ambition. Yeah. I think we really need to dream bigger, you know, in terms mm-hmm. of what we really want. I think there's a lot of actual opportunity here in the Philippines. The but world once is they once town. they really see how big the world is yeah. and they can actually build companies that can sell to the US, whether if it's B2B or whatever, you know, I mean, like Kumu's doing a great job over here, right? But, you know, I, I would love to see more examples from a B2B perspective, Yep. right? I think there are a lot of B2B plays over here that we can develop for Correct. a much more affordable, you know, cost in terms of talent yep. and scale it in the US with larger ticket sizes, right? If we're talking about GDP, yep. where do you get the GDP, right? Like the GDP comes from elsewhere. Yep, not here. And so I think there's just large opportunities, but Filipinos need to dream bigger. They need to think bigger. They need to mm-hmm. really understand different perspectives, talk to people mm-hmm. outside of the Philippines, right? I yep. think level one is the Philippines for sure. But for example, this is why our network is so important, right? We want everybody to literally talk to us. Why? Because that way we can give more perspective. And mm-hmm. so from that, you know, it's just like, Join our network, you know, like literally meet us. We would want to meet you. So if you are yeah. a founder, if you are a current angel investor, if you're a current VC or someone even like a college student, right? Like yeah. we know that there's this big problem over here of like there's the big four and then there's everybody else outside of the big four. Right. Right. Like we want to encourage everybody, mm-hmm. right, to get started with this and, and learn how to think bigger yes. so that we can all do bigger. Right. And so again, just reach out to us. It's Filipino Angels, right? Right now our Gmail is filipinoangels at gmail.com. It's mm-hmm. extremely simple, right? And so just reach out to us. We want to hear from you. We, we want to learn from everybody. We're, we're, we have so much to learn as, as we've probably seen throughout this week. And so mm-hmm. uh, we're really looking forward to meeting everybody. Uh, we're really grateful to everybody that we've met so far. Mm-hmm. And um, extremely, extremely grateful for everybody that's hosted us, partnered with us and everything so far with us. All right. That is amazing. And thank you, Lo and Ian. But before I let you go, follow us whatever podcast app you're listening to, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or any type of podcast app you're listening to. And again, if we did say some jargon, it's going to be in the show notes on hustleshare.com. And if you also want to be part of how we build the startup, I mean the startup, the podcast, um, you can go to premium.hustleshare.com to get first tips and get the ability to ask the questions from our amazing guests. Again, Lo and Ian, thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. And I'll see you guys in the next episode. Peace.